Hey, ah, this is really fun to be with you guys tonight. Thanks for letting me be here. Uh, yeah, so I have four kids, Weston, Coraline, Garrison, I had to think about that one for a minute, and Natalyn. We weren't very exciting on the endings of their names. Um, but yeah, we have four kids. They're great. I've actually already tucked them in bed, and then I came here. It's late, guys. All right. Like, I, was, I made dinner. I did some laundry. I cleaned. I cleaned again. <laughs> All right. That's the life of having kids. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I have uh, been here 11 years, moved here 11 years ago with my wife, Amy. We helped start Christian Challenge with Paul and Christy. Cody Bryan, some of you know them. Uh, they were actually still, actually Cody was in high school and we recruited him to help start Challenge. We just said, just pretend like you're in college and because we needed somebody. Uh, so it's really exciting to get to be with you guys again tonight uh, to kind of see where Challenge has come, you know, in the last like 10 years or so. Uh, but I want to talk to you guys tonight. We are in the middle of a series called Faith, and really this, this faith acrostic is really about, you know, the kind of person that we want to be to really grow in our relationship with Christ. And it's also the kind of people that we want to look for to really invest in others. And I don't know where we are in the series, if this is like night one or night two or wherever, but we're two. Okay, we're in week two. So, but we're actually going to go to the very end of the acrostic tonight. All right, so it's going to be like a movie that you already know the ending. And then you can just enjoy it. It's kind of like watching football. <laughs> That's how I watch my football team now, which Oklahoma Sooners. I just see if they win. And if they win, then I watch the game. Because I'm a true fan. <laughs> I'm not going to waste four hours of my life if I know they lose. <laughs> so we're going to jump right to the H tonight, which is one of my favorite topics, which is really just how do you grow a heart for God and a heart for people? Because I don't know about you guys, but that's like not automatic. Did anyone think like, I'm going to accept Jesus, and then like all of a sudden it's automatic. I love God. I love people now. No one drives me crazy anymore. I just want to pray for them all the time. Ministry is going to flock to me, right? Some of you are like, that's exactly my story, Tim. How did you know that? Well, I, it's not my case. Um, I accepted Jesus, and like all my problems were still there. I still struggled. I still was angry at times. I was frustrated. And I still struggled with this idea of like wanting to pray and read the Bible, and I, I wanted to sleep more. And so a heart for God and people is actually something you have to develop. It's something you have to grow, which makes sense if you think about how life works everywhere else, right? All relationships take work. All marriages take work. Uh, you know, school takes work, right? You just don't like love studying. It's something you have to work on. If you want to be athletically fit, that's something you have to work on. If you want to get better at any skill, it's something you have to work on. And it's the same way in our spiritual lives. And that's what I want to look at tonight. But I want to tell you a story to get us going. I want to take you all the way back to the year 1985, okay? Just to help you understand that, most of your parents were teenagers at this point. They might not have known each other, but they might have definitely been flirting with each other. They were like doing the awkward like dances like this at like, you know, 13. So you can go back, it's like, mom and dad, I learned about what your life was like. Um, <laughs> But I want to take you back to a time when there are two American companies basically vying for the top position. Um, they had been basically battling head for head for years to see which company was basically going to be the supreme company on this product. And, and, and every year, one company would kind of top the other in sales. Well, in 1985, the dispute is finally ended for like the rest of all time. These two companies are still very strong companies today, but there is certainly a winner. And that winner was chosen in 1985. These two companies are Coca-Cola 
and Pepsi. Now, here's how the story goes. First of all, who's a Coca-Cola fan? Okay. All right. Now, who's a Pepsi fan? Who's a Cherry Pepsi fan? Yeah. Okay. Just we had to get that straight. So here's how the story goes. Legend has it. In the spring of 1985, the leadership of Coca-Cola took a pretty big risk. Now, at the time, Coke had been kind of steadily losing ground to Pepsi. Pepsi started like actually winning the sales. And um, so Coca-Cola basically was like, man, we're in trouble. If this keeps up, we are going to start losing sales. So they brought in this consultant and basically said, what do we do? And the consultant said, I want you to go into a boardroom and I want you to basically, he drew a box. Just imagine like a white box, you know, like a whiteboard. And he just drew a box. He said, what one word would you put in that box that describes Coca-Cola? And they looked at each other and they said, well, obviously, it's the word taste. The word taste is what describes who we are as Coca-Cola. So Coca-Cola thought, what we need to do is we need a new taste. People are dissatisfied with the way Coke case, right? We're losing ground to Pepsi and especially, you know, cherry Pepsi. There's just no coming back from that. So, so they immediately begin concocting new formulas, new blind tests, and, and they actually came out with a new flavor of Coke. You can actually have that, not that orange Coke that's out nowadays. That's disgusting. Um, anyway, have anyone else had that? The orange flavored Coke? Don't. Just don't. It's like sin. It, you think it's going to be good, it tempts you, but like sin, okay, this is a freebie by the way, sin always, always overpromises and underdelivers. That's totally how sin works. That's how orange Coca-Cola works. They should just stay with Coke Classic. Um, so anyway, they came up with this new flavor, right? And uh, they really thought it was going to win back their people. Anyway, it was called New Coke. New Coke. Okay, the reaction, guys, was bad. Like, it was met with, like, straight-up outrage and hostility. They were, like, people were writing hateful letters to Coca-Cola. Like, what did you do? People began stockpiling old Coke. Like, they were, like the stores were gone. They're like, no, man, sorry. I can't let you have this. Like, my children. I got to think about it. They were thinking about you guys, actually. Your parents were stockpiling old Coke, thinking about you. See, now you can go home. It's like, did you stockpile Coke or did you selfishly drink it on yourself? Anyway, um, so after about two weeks of like this terrible experience, they got back together in the same boardroom, minus the consultant this time. <laughs> they didn't bring him back. And they're like, we need to come up with a new word because taste wasn't it. And they came up, you know what the word is they came up with? True story, 1985, tradition. Coca-Cola realized what people think about Coke is they think about traditions. They think about memories. They think about all the things they do with Coke. And you know what they did? They went back to the original formula. You know what they call it now? Coca-Cola Classic. What do you see every time you buy Coke now? Coca-Cola Classic, right? See, they went, they went back to the thing that they were actually like originally did. They didn't try to do something new. And you know what happened with the sales? It like skyrocketed. Like from that point forward, Pepsi never regained the ground and they have never have, you know? And this was like before like Coca-Cola was like international. This was still basically when they're mostly sales in America. Anyway, Pepsi never regained the ground and Coca-Cola has uh, to this day uh, basically been the soda, the soda king. Now I grew up in Oklahoma 
We call everything a Coke. It doesn't matter if you're like Pepsi, Coke, Mountain Dew, Sprite. There's probably weirdos out there that drink LaCroix and they call that a Coke. Um, some people call it a soda. I had a friend called it a sodi. He was from Illinois. Um, but there's a reason most people call it a Coke. It's because Coke has won that battle. Well, here's the thing, guys. I really think we have a similar story like Coke. I think a lot of times we begin to chase after these, these new things that kind of come to the table of our heart. We, we, we chase after this, this new thing, this new Coke, this new idea. And the thing is, is, we need to get back to what our hearts were designed to be about all along. We need to get back to what our hearts were designed to yearn for. And that's really who God is. And, and we need to yearn after what God wants. And I really think if you were to have that same question in your life, if you were to say, what one word, right, draw a box, what one word would go in that box to describe your life? And I think if we are to be who we were designed to be, the only word that can go in that box is the word Jesus. Because that's the only word that will actually fill our hearts. We must be about Jesus and what Jesus was about. See, God's, God's will for our lives, it's not something that we add to our lives. It's not like we have our, our life and then we kind of add God into it. But rather, God's will is what needs to define our lives. Just like the word tradition defined Coca-Cola classic, Jesus needs to define our life, not just something we add to it. And I think when it's all said and done, I think the quality of your life isn't going to be measured by what degree you got. It's not going to be measured by what job you have. It's not going to be measured by anything else other than, did I have a heart for God? And did I have a heart for others? I think the quality of your life is going to come down to those two questions. Because no one cares. Guys, I'm 38 years old. Uh, just the other day, I was talking with someone who's 20 years old, and we were walking toward our cars. And he goes, is this your car? I was like, yeah. He's like, man, I think my grandmom has that car. And I was just like, I am old. I have, I have crossed over into that category. But here's the thing. He doesn't care. I don't care. It's just a car. See, that doesn't define the quality of my life. But Jesus does. I'm 38. So I can tell you, at least up to the year 38, the two questions that have actually brought quality to my life are my heart for God and my heart for others. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, these two questions come directly from one of the single greatest statements that Jesus ever made. We call it the Great Commandment. It's the Great Commandment. I mean, it gets the title great because it's, it's great. I mean, it really is. It's, it's a great statement. Uh, this, this statement is found in Matthew 28. It's on your handout there. It's a little lengthy, but I want you to stay with me. Jesus actually gets asked, he says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Like, what should I, in other words, what should I like give my life to? And this is what Jesus says. He said, he told the guy, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is important, is, the second most important is similar. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And all the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets stem from these two laws and are fulfilled if you obey them. Keep only these, and you'll find that you are obeying the others also. See, Jesus was asked, you know, what's this, this greatest commandment? What's the one thing that I should really chase after? And Jesus kind of gives him like two answers, right? You, you catch that? Now, I don't think the Son of God is confused by the question. I don't think he was trying to throw the guy off. What he did was he's really trying to help the guy understand, look, love God and love people are intrinsically connected. You cannot do one without doing the other. If you just love God 
And that never plays out in loving people. You're just a smart Christian, but you're not like a real one. <laughs> and it, you cannot, I'll just go, I'm going to fast forward here, but you cannot love people if Jesus is not first in your life. You just cannot do it. It's just impossible. So God, uh, Jesus helps this man understand that it's, it's really these two are connected. And I want to help you understand this, and I'm going to give you guys an illustration here, and it's going to show up behind me on the screen. But I want you to try to imagine your life kind of like a bucket. Okay, we have the bucket. There's a bucket. Okay, now this bucket represents you. Now this bucket is all your hopes, dreams, desires, aspirations for the future. This is like everything that you love. This is the stuff that excites you. This represents your life. But here's the thing, most buckets that are metal at least. Okay, I'm from Oklahoma and we have a lot of rusty, leaky buckets. The bucket has a leak. And you realize that if you fill your bucket with whatever, the bucket is slowly going to leak out. And you realize after a couple days or a week or so, man, I'm empty again. So you got to go back and you got to fill it back up again. Now, here's the thing. What we do is we begin to look for things around us to give us love. We, we look for things around us to fill us and to give us appreciation and this sense of acceptance and this idea of accomplishment. So we begin to run to other things. So then we have this next picture here. So we have these other buckets that we begin running to. And we look to things like popularity and promotions. We look to relationships and, and the status that we get from them. We look to money, securities. We look to, at least in my life, we look to like vacations, right? Um, we look to things like Facebook, Instagram likes. And we start looking to all these things to try to fill us. But here's the problem. The things that we run to in our life to fill our bucket never fill us because they're smaller. That's why these buckets are smaller buckets. You could completely empty that bucket and you're still empty. And on top of that, you're draining. You still have a leak. This is why in life, people constantly chase after things to find fulfillment. This is why, well, that major, that major didn't really fulfill me, so I'm going to find a new major. I changed major four times. Four times. And I still got out in four and a half years. That's pretty good. <laughs> Took a little victory lap there at the end. Um, but here's the thing, right? We change majors. We, we change girlfriends. We change boyfriends. We change roommates. We, you know, later in life, you change your wife. You change your husband. You change your job. You change where you live. And all of this is because you think this is going to fill you. But you just realize you're not staying filled. So you end up looking for more and more things. But here's the reality, guys. If these buckets represent people, right? If these buckets represent the people in our lives, you cannot love people if you are looking for people to be your source of love. Does that make sense? Because which direction is the arrow going? It's going toward me. How can I pour out into others if I'm basically looking for them to pour into me? I had a friend in Oklahoma said, it's like two ticks and no dog. They just suck the life out of each other. Right? Ticks suck blood out of dogs. So if you take the dog away, the two ticks just suck each other dry. It's gross. Um, but it kind of makes the point, right? Um, so here's the thing. You just, you just end up feeling drained all the time. This is why God has to be our source of love. This is why we have to love God first. Let's look at our next picture. See, God comes in and he begins to fill you. Now, what do we know about God? Is his love limited? No, it's unlimited, right? Does his... How big is God's bucket compared to our bucket? Yeah, it's kind of a silly question. Yeah, his bucket's big, right? See, here's the thing. When God becomes our source, we remain filled because God's love is unending. It never runs out. And better yet, his love is actually perfect where all the other love that we look for is still tainted. 
because we're all selfish people. Even if you're, uh, even if you're a Christian, you're still selfish, okay? You're still in there. Um, but the thing about God is God's love's perfect. It, it never runs out. It's completely pure. And no longer do we have to look to people or things in our life to partially fill us because we can actually remain completely filled by a never-ending, everlasting love that can only come from the Father. And as you are filled with God's love, as you actually allow God's love to flow into your life, if you open yourself up to him and as, and as he actually begins to pour into you, his love actually begins to overflow and what happens with the arrows? They actually begin to point outward. See how, you see how your love for God is directly connected to your love for people? You see, the moment you cut your relationship off with God, the arrows automatically flip and they come back towards yourself. No longer do you, you know, when God fills your life, no longer do you have to look to people or things to be fulfilled by them. You actually get to be the one that pours into them. Does this start, is this kind of making sense a little bit, how this, this works? It's pretty simple, but it's so easy to get wrapped up into it. And, and we, we, we wonder why we're struggling. We wonder why we feel unhappy, or we wonder why we feel dissatisfied, or we feel just, you know, this idea of, I just feel empty. I just feel drained. I just feel lacking. Well, it's because you've cut off the flow of God's love. And the moment you do that, the arrows always come back towards you. This is why Jesus combines these two commandments in the Great Commission, or I mean the Great Commandment. He combines the two together. See, we, we are called to be representatives for Christ in this world. That's the whole reason we're here. I mean, God doesn't need us, guys, to do his job. He allows us to be a part of what he's about. And that is like, I mean, talk about fulfillment, I mean, there's nothing more fulfilling than the God of the universe wanting to include you in what he's doing. I'm really nerdy. Okay, I'll just be honest. Like, when I was in high school, like, I didn't come home and watch Power Rangers or whatever was on. Um, I would come home and watch, like, the Science Channel. Now, I sucked at science in school, but I loved science at home when it was just, like, on my own terms. And I would just really get into the space stuff. I love space. I love astronomy. And I love planets. And I'm really geeking out right now with like the little Mars probe that's going on up there. Dude, like, you know, this stuff's cool. And it hit me one day. It's like, God is literally like controlling which planets stay in orbit and which things don't. Like, he does not need my help at all. But he wants to include me in what he's doing. That is like super cool. Um, we get to be represented for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20, it tells us, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. You know, come, come right with God. Bring God into your life. But I love this idea that God wants to use us, like he wants to love others through us. We're to represent him. But here's the thing. We're not really good at that. And anytime we're being controlled by bitterness, anger, envy, jealousy, stress, frustration, irritability, that's the key word in my family. I'm always asking my kids, are you being irritable right now? Yes. It doesn't work when I ask Amy. <laughs> She's just like, you can go. You're irritating me. Um, 
But see, whenever you feel that way, when that, that bitterness and that, that jealousy, it, it, I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about? That feeling? That feeling is like the warning light on the dashboard of your life saying you have cut this relationship off and the arrows are now facing back in toward you. If you, want the, if you want these arrows to go back outward, you need to fix this relationship first. Fix this one, and then these can get fixed. You can't fix these until this one gets fixed. All right? Even after you accept Christ, this is, you, you, there's still you in your heart. <laughs> like, there's still me. Like, I'm still in there. So I have to work on this thing. Um, I have to act, uh, actively and intentionally work to keep my arrows outward focused. I had a friend one time. His name was Adam Westerman. I loved it. I loved Adam. Adam taught me a lot of things when I was in college. Um, the way Adam prayed, this is how he would pray. Dear God. And then he would quote about 20 to 100 verses on any given night. And then he would just go, amen. That's how I learned to pray. Adam was an amazing man. And Adam taught me so much about how to just keep the arrows outward focused. Because he was so giving but he understood that it was this relationship that really affected this relationship. So what I want to do with our remaining time is I want to quickly give you guys just three ways to really grow in this relationship and this relationship. But I really want to spend some time helping you understand why it's so important that we have these relationships. Because if not, I'm just giving you head knowledge. I'm just giving you instruction. But instruction only goes so far. I really want to spend some time tonight. So I really hope this makes sense. And the moment you feel irritable, the moment you, 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 you feel dissatisfied, the moment you feel like you're not worth anything, that's because this relationship's been cut off. So we've got to work on that. So three ways to do it. Two ways to grow in our relationship with God, and then one way to really grow in our relationship with people. The first one is simple. It's just this. Know God. Know God. Now, there is a big difference, guys, between knowing about someone and actually knowing them. Uh, they're two very different verbs. Now, when I first started getting attracted to my, my now wife, Amy, uh, I was a property manager at a duplex. And um, so a lot of like the people in challenge and stuff were living at the duplexes. And our front doors were like six feet apart from each other, like our front doors faced each other. So I, I mean, I got to know a lot about her, um, like kind of creepy. I mean, I knew when she left and when she came back and things like that, um, right? <laughs> I knew when she was on the phone. Um, <laughs> Right. Um, but the thing is, I just knew what she liked. We hung out a lot together. I knew what she liked. I knew what things she did for fun. Um, but here's the thing. After being married to her now for almost 12 years, like, I really know more about her than I did then. Like, I actually know her now, not just knowing about her. And the difference is, is the experiences that we have had together over the last 11, 12 years. Actually, we've known each other for about 15 years now. Um, we've had a lot of experiences together. Um, we've shared a lot. Most of our experiences have been really fun and wonderful. Um, some of ours have been hard, and we have walked through some very difficult, sad, traumatic experiences in our life as well. Um, but here's the thing. We've walked through them together. And that is how I have come to know her, not just know about her. See, our love for each other has not just grown through what we learn about each other. It's really grown through the experiences that we've gone through together, those experiences that we've walked through together over the last, you know, 15 years. And this is exactly how it is with God. You guys ever wonder why you like being around people? Do you ever wonder why you're like more relationally bent? Like even if you're like super introverted, like I'm super introverted people. Okay, like I am, I'm super introverted. But even me still like people. 
And the thing is, it's like, because, and it's really key, but it's right in the very beginning of the Bible, God makes people in his image. You ever think about that? The reason you're relational is because he's relational. The reason that you want to have relationships with people is because he wants to have relationships with people. He's relational. That's what makes Christianity different than all the other world religions. All the other world religions and systems and beliefs and ideas have no relationship involved. It's just do's and don'ts and hopes and dreams. God and Christianity is the only religion, if you want to call it that. I call it a relationship. It's not a religion at all. It's a relationship where God actually wants to have a relationship with you. This is the same way with God. You grow in your relationship with God as you walk with him as you trust him in the experiences that he brings in your life through the ups and downs. This is how you get to know God. You get to see how he comes through. You get to see what he allows and what he doesn't allow. You get to see what he loves and what he doesn't love by trusting him through the experiences. Philippians 2, 3, the apostle Paul, he writes this, yes, everything is worthless when compared to this infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Now, sometimes we read that verse and you think, man, am I just supposed to throw away like all my stuff? I like some of my stuff. But it's, it, it's, in, it's in comparison to, it's not saying like your stuff is garbage, but you say, look, comparing to God and my relationship with God, this stuff is just worthless. It's, it, it's, the, it's the extreme comparison that Paul is making. Now, it's interesting. Now, in that, in that verse, in Philippians 3.8, the, the word knowing that the apostle Paul uses is actually the Greek word genosis, all right? Now, this word genosis, it, it means gaining of knowledge through experience. That's actually what it means. You gain knowledge through experience, so you don't get to know God by just reading the Bible or listening to a sermon. Those, those are really good. You should do them. Um, there's a lot of people out there that can quote Bible verses. And they can, there's a lot of people out there that can explain deep theology. But their lives show nothing of a personal relationship with God. See, Apostle Paul, he goes on to say in Philippians 3.10, just a few verses later, he says, I want to know Christ. And I want to experience. You see the connection that he says there? I want to know. Guess what word that is? It's the same word, genosis. I want to know Christ and experience. Paul's like doubling up there. He's like, I want to experience and experience. That's really what he's saying. I want to experience and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death. In other words, what Paul's saying is like, I don't want just like the, the high moments of Jesus. I want the highs and the lows. I want like everything that Jesus is. I want to have that experience because anything that I walk with Jesus in is going to be better. So you can learn a lot about God. If you just want to learn about him, you can. But if you want to know him, you have to trust him walking in faith, believing that what you read in the Bible is true. Does that make sense? I want to show you one more verse that kind of ties this together, and then we'll move on. Second Peter 1, 3, uh, he writes in his, his second letter, um, he says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. First of all, you should just memorize that. Even if you just like memorize that one part, that's, that's really helpful. He goes on to say is that we have received all of this. What, do we, what, is, what, what have we just received? We have received everything that we need for living a godly life. We, all of that we have received by coming to know him. 
the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. How do you receive power to live a godly life? That power that literally is God's power, that's the word divine power. Actually, the word power there is the Greek word dunamis. It's actually where we get the word dynamite. Uh, dynamite is power under control. It's different. You know, when you use dynamite and you have an explosion, it's a controlled explosion. You know what's going to happen versus just an uncontrolled explosion, you know, like a propane tank blowing up. Actually, in Oklahoma, we used to take microwaves, side story. I'll come over here for the side story. We used to take microwaves and run them out into the field and put like 10 cans of hairspray in them and crank it up for like 10 minutes and then go watch it just blow up. Okay, back over here. Oklahoma's fun, guys. It's not like we have mountains or lakes or anything. <laughs> we have to do other things with our time. There's another game called Hey Cow. I'll tell you about that afterwards. Um, we're really boring people out there. We chase tornadoes. I've got a lot of tornado stories. Um, you gain all that you need to know in life by coming to know him. It's the same word that Paul just used, genosis through experiences. So you must experience God if you're going to get to really know God. All right. Um, just a couple of questions before we move on. You know, where, where do you want to experience God's power in your life right now? Think about it. Is there a place in your life where you feel like you're just kind of knowing about God? But is there something that's going on in your life? Is there an experience that you're currently walking through where you're thinking, God, I'd really, I'd really like to walk hand in hand with you on this one? My encouragement is to let him come in and let him take hold of your hand and trust him. God's plan for your life will always be better than your plan for your life because your plan for your life can only go out about, I don't know, 24 hours. If, if that, you really aren't guaranteed much. Now, you can have some ideas, but you're not guaranteed much beyond about 24 hours. God's plan for your life is always going to be better than your plan for your life. So it's just easier to go ahead and just put your hand out and trust him and go with him that way. Second way we can really deepen our heart for God. Now, this is really kind of connected to point one, but it's really a second point. It's just to obey God. So we, we want to know God through experiences, but then we have to obey him. Now, obedience is not a punishment in the Christian life. This, obedience is actually a privilege in the Christian life. And obedience is, is actually the catalyst that, that draws our hearts deeper in love with God. It's actually the, the means that God has used to, to deepen that relationship. And we can trust him because we know that he already loves us. Romans 5.8 says, you know, uh, you know, says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I mean, even when you were sin, in deep in sin and deep in living for yourself, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I'm going to go ahead and die for them too. See, we can trust what God is asking us to do. Why? Because God's plan for your life is always better than your plan for your life. So if God is saying, hey, I know this doesn't make any sense to you. I know this is, is ludicrous, but I want you to do this. Because I, I don't have just the next 24 hours of your life planned out. Like, I literally have every breath of your life planned out until you and I get to meet up in person. So just go with me. Now, obedience didn't make a whole lot of sense until I had children. As a dad now with four kids, I totally get it. Because there are times with my children where like, I don't have time to explain to my two-year-old why she can't chase after the van until the middle of the street. She loves her van, guys. Natalyn, I don't know if you guys know Natalyn. She is a pure treasure and delight. And um, she loves her van. She loves her van. So when mommy drives away without her in the van, 
it's like World War III for the next 30 minutes in our house. And there's times when I just have to tell her, you cannot go do that. I don't have time to explain it and walk with it. I just need her to obey. And there's, when, there's times when God's like, look, I, I will promise you we have eternity for me to explain this to you later on, but right now I just need you to obey because my plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. John 15, 10, Jesus said, look, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I love that Jesus did it too. Even as a person on earth, Jesus gave us the example of obedience. See, there's a deep connection between obedience and love. In 1 John 3, 2, he says, that we, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. I'll let you guys take a wild guess what that verb know is. Guess what it is, guys? Yeah, it's genosis, same word, right? We know through experience that we have come to know through experience Jesus if we keep his commandments. So just a couple quick questions here is, where do you guys need to obey God tonight? What, what area of your life do you know God is asking you to do something and you're just kind of like pretending like you're not hearing him? Kind of like, you know, when you're playing video games and your mom's like, dinner time! You're like, I didn't hear it. Oh, you, oh it's dinner time. Oh, I, was playing. I didn't hear you, mom. We do that with God all the time. Oh, God, you wanted me? I was, oh, I was doing this. I didn't hear your voice. Oh, okay. Right, we do that with God all the time. But where do you need to obey God? And here's just a little snippet. Delayed obedience is still disobedience, all right? You, you know, you think, oh, obey God tomorrow after I have my fun. Guys, that's still disobedience. I have to teach my children that. Um, actually, they are learning consequences. It's like, you can choose that, but you will not have this. Um, and then they get really upset with me. Um, what have you been trying to ignore in your life that you know God is asking you to do? See, to grow a heart for God, and, and, and conversely, a heart for people, you have to get to know God through obeying God and walking with him. Okay, so that's how we really grow in our relationship with God. We have to know God. We have to obey God. But thirdly, right, the third point is we have to actually love others, right? If we're doing God right and our relationship with God right, he's going to overflow our bucket, and this bucket will then begin to overflow, and the arrows begin to point outwards, and then we actually have to love others, Jesus says in John 13, 35, your love for one another will actually prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, that word disciples is the Greek word discipio. It just means the word followers. In other words, the way that you love people actually prove to them that you follow me. See, our love for people flows from our love for God. The way that we gain a heart for others is actually by loving others with the love that God has for us. Now, here's a thing. I'm going to give this to you, Okay. Most of the time, if not all of the time, most, but most of the time is all, your problems with people are actually problems with God. Your people problems are most of the time God problems. Because the reason that your relationship with people is difficult, and the reason that you're frustrated, and the reason that you're irritated, and the reason that you're jealous, and the reason that you're envious has nothing to really do with them, is actually your relationship has been cut off with God. And you have a problem with God, because God is not giving you what he's giving them. They are difficult to love because you are trying to love them on your own ability, which when you are loving someone on your own ability, you actually can't love them at all because the buckets and the arrows are pointed towards yourself. Does that make sense? 
your people problems most of the time are God problems. There are people out there. And so that's why I say most of the time. Remember the second part of the great commandment, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's just weird. Okay, the first time I read that, I was just like, that has got to be one of the weirdest things in the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, there is actually incredible genius behind the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Because I want you to think about this. When you're hungry, what do you do? What do you do? You feed yourself. You don't usually think to yourself, I'm really hungry. I'm going to sit here until someone notices. And then I'll see if they bring me food. You're like, I'm going to go eat my roommate's food because he's gone or he's asleep and he won't notice anyway. Um, what happens when you're cold? What do you do? You clothe yourself. What happens when you're tired? You take a nap, right? I know you guys don't sleep, so you just take naps. When I was in college, I never slept. I took a series of naps. <laughs> I learned, because I had an early morning job. I was at work at 5 o'clock every morning, and then I was up late because I was doing stuff like challenge. Anyway, I ended up taking the series of like two and three hour naps that totaled up to like almost six hours. And that worked for four years until I passed out. Right, what happens when we're sad? We hope someone would show us compassion. What happens when we're, we're happy? We really want someone to celebrate with. What happens when we're irritable and we know we've blown it with somebody? We really just hope they'll show us grace. I really hope they'll forgive me, right? When we blow it, we really just hope that our relationship's strong enough to survive it. Right? In the same way, in the same way that you go to love yourself, we are to love others. You see the genius behind the command? If I need to be shown grace in this moment, then I need to give grace to them. If I would need to have been shown mercy, then I need to offer mercy to people. If I, need to, if, if, if I would have done what they did to me, then I would want to be forgiven of that. So I need to give them my forgiveness. And if I need to be loved, then I need to give my love. 1 John 4.12 says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And now this is the best part of the whole verse. His love is brought to full expression in us. See, when we love people with the actual love of God, then his love is actually brought to a full expression through our lives. In other words, our lives become the canvas that God paints his love on so that others can get a picture of what his love looks like for them. Does that make sense? Because people that don't have God in their life can't see him. He's not there. It's kind of like you don't see minivans until you have babies. And then there's like a ton of them. I have a minivan. I love minivan now. But I never saw minivans until I became like a dad. And then it was like, man, there's a lot of minivans. Same way. People that don't have God in their life aren't looking for him. They can't see him, but they can see you. And when you let God come into your life, your life becomes the canvas. And God begins to paint love all over it. And they begin to look at you and say, I don't get you. Like, you don't make sense. Everyone else in my life has abandoned me and pushed me away, but yet you won't leave. And you're just like, yeah, because God doesn't leave. He doesn't give up on me, and he won't give up on you. He hasn't abandoned me. He's not going to abandon you. God's love 
comes to full expression in your life as you seek to love others. But here's the one problem. We're almost done, guys. You still have you in your life, right? It's not just like you're this amazing saint and you never have problems. You still have you in your life. Well, here's a saying that has really helped me. Jesus did not die for you so that you could treat people the way people treated him. Jesus did not die for you so that you could treat people the way people treated him. Jesus died for you so that you could be the canvas that he could bring his love into full expression. So how does it look like in the Bible? What does it look like to practically love people? And I want to invite the band to come on up here. The Bible is not short on commands about what it looks like to love. So I just want to give this to you. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. It says this, make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and as thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. And what I love about this verse is it gives us three ways that we can really love people. We are to love people with our words, by making a clean break with all talk. That's cutting, backbiting. We are to be gentle. We, we love people with our actions, and we're gentle with them. We're sensitive to them. And then we love people with our forgiveness. But we forgive people as thoroughly and as quickly as God has forgiven you. Just so you know what that means, that means like instant and right away. All right. So as we wrap up, the guys are going to start leading us into a time of worship. And I gave you guys a couple questions there. And I want you guys to like, here's my promise, OK? Tonight, before you go to bed, I want you to answer those three questions on your handout. I will know God by how? What can I do tonight, tomorrow? How will I know God? How will I obey God? What will I do? And what will I do to love others? I want you to reflect on this time of worship. Even during this time of worship, be asking yourself, God, God, how will I know you? God, how will I obey you? God, how, how do you want to use me to love people in my life right now? And I want you guys to do some serious thought about this, because this is the word in the box, Jesus, right? I want to know God. I want to obey God. I want to be used by God to love others, because others don't see God, but they see me. I want to pray, and then we're going to wrap up. I went a little late, but man, this is just too important, guys. All right, this is just too important to go short on. So I want to pray, and then I'm really looking forward to getting to talk with you afterwards. Um, I had coffee at like 3, so I'm good. But I want to pray, and then we're going to worship, and it's going to be good. Father, thank you so much for tonight. God, I pray that these young ones would forgive me for speaking late, but I just get excited about this topic because it is, just, it is, it is my heart. God, I, my life has been touched by a benevolent, loving, forgiving Savior. I don't deserve it. So God, I get it. And there's people in this room tonight that feel like they don't deserve it. They don't get it. But God, you have done everything for us so that we could actually know you, not know about you, but actually know you. God, I want to pray right now that we would be a room of people that would seek to know you, trusting you through the experiences that you're weaving into the canvas of our life. God, that we would obey you just saying, God, I don't get it. I'm scared. I don't want to know what it's going to turn out. But I know that your plan for my life is better than my plan for my life. So God, I'm just going to say, OK. My answer is yes. And God, I just want to pray, God, that this room, that they would love people, that, that, that people would be ushered into the kingdom of heaven through this room, through the people in this room tonight, because they love you, and that you are displaying your love 
on the canvas of their lives. God, thank you so much for this time tonight. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.